Hello and welcome to Take Your Points. On this week's show, our guests are Kyle Carville, a Get It Life columnist. He's on to talk about uh, players getting involved in social and political uh, issues. And Claire Timoney, the former Antrim player and breeder player, who is on to talk about ladies football and her career and what it's like after uh, stopping playing for Antrim. Okay, so Kyle Carvel's here to talk about the uh, current issues that are facing us uh, this week. Um, and the, one of the main issues I want to start with is your column from uh, previous week was about players getting involved in social and political issues. Um, and you were very keen to that they, that they do that. So I wanted to ask you why you sort of decided to head on that point in last week's Skillic Life column. People might think it was a controversial topic. Um, the, the feedback I had was on both sides of the fence, i.e., you know, the GEA is a, should be an apolitical um, entity and shouldn't be getting involved, and certainly the high-profile players uh, involved in the GEA shouldn't be involved in themselves in political issues. But my topic, I think, it was slightly wider than that. It wasn't just the, the politics of this island. It was also, you know, the social issues, the social justice issues, and the fact that if players, players just aren't robots, they aren't um, machines, they aren't uh, developed to run up and down the field without any sort of uh, wider life experience and also they're shaped by the areas they come from and that's, that's natural and what we don't want is players to be, as I said, robotic with the answers to the questions and they move on and they don't get involved in, in any sort of issues or any have any passions outside of the GAA. The, the phrase I used which came to mind was the, the Michael Jordan famous comment um, where he said Republicans wear sneakers too and that was obviously in a, in a, a different context but the reason I went for this uh, angle was because of the, the steps taken by the Mayo players current and past and Donegal especially the Donegal GA hurling and football teams who came out very strongly in support of those who had been impacted by the, the, the MICA scandal in relation to the residential homes in the community in which those players are based and the communities that produce those great footballers and, and hurlers and ladies footballers and, and, and camogie players so uh, the fact that they had thrown their support behind that movement and also the fact that a lot of the past players were impacted and were involved I felt like that was a good thing and you know going back uh, through the, the years we have seen many very famous GEA players, the Jack Lynch comes to mind, who have gone into uh, politics and uh, strive to make this area and make this island better. And given that the GEA is community based, it's based in social issues and it's the very fabric of the community. It would be remiss of GEA players just to concentrate on their football or hurling and not even to think about you know, the wider context, the people they represent and the actual social and political issues that the people they represent and the communities they're born into um, are facing. So that was the genesis of the piece. You could fall on both sides of the argument, but I felt very strongly that there was a, a, you know, a responsibility on players to use their voice to um, give that voice to some of these social and political issues which are very apparent at this time. Do you think that there are some players who are, don't want to give their opinions or are scared to? 
Well, cer certainly my, my piece wasn't you have to do that, but if you feel strongly about something and uh, you know it's a real passion of yours, then you shouldn't be cowed by what other people think or you shouldn't be put into the box of you're a GEA player. And because you're a GEA player, you shouldn't have views outside of that there or we just want to see you play football or hurling or ladies football or camogie. And outside of that, we don't want to listen to you. you know, People from this part of the world that play the GEA are well-rounded, well-educated, form very strong views on certain issues. And because you're a GEA player, that shouldn't uh, preclude you from voicing those opinions and trying to uh, enact change in this part of the world. And I think there's a responsibility on uh, GEA players across the piece to actually voice their opinions and to try and um, create and um, move change in this part of the world. What happens if you get somebody with a real outlandish opinion, though, that maybe isn't a positive? Well, well, I think if you look at any of our politics in this part of the world, there's a lot of outlandish opinions that people would think aren't um, uh, positive. But w I think debate, especially in this um, time, in, in the during going through the, the the pandemic and the various issues that and uh, and difficulties that people are facing, there has to be debate in a democracy, whether it's good or bad, or whether you agree with um, people or not. If some GA players may have some outlandish opinions on certain things, but uh, if they do make those uh, points, then there is always the opposite um, viewpoint that others can come in with. And it's also about education as well. And if you're making some of those points as a GA player, be good or bad, it stirs the debate. You know, it shows that we're not just robotic footballers that don't have a brain outside of that there. So for good or ill, it's like, uh, and that's the reason that we have a democracy where you can make views heard and you can be challenged in those views. And certainly I think that has to be a good thing. Yeah, so you're, re you're really going back to the point where you say that players uh, have to show more of their personality or should show their more of their personality, like not be so serious or, or not be so, you know, fear fearful. Yeah, well, I think maybe, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but more, you know, corporate in terms of their views that they sit down and they say, we're not going to give anything away here. We're going to just give the same old answers to any journalists that ask us about, you know, what's going on. Yes, it was a good game. They're a great team. They're going to, you know, put it up to us. They've been playing well and all the usual stuff that we've heard day in, day out. I think you should have an opinion, express it. If you are confident, why not say so? If you think you're going to beat the other team, why not say it? Uh, because at the end of the day, you still have to go out in the field and do that there. And you shouldn't be afraid to show confidence. You shouldn't be afraid to show personality. And I don't think that does a disservice to the team um, by doing that. And we all like characters. There's so many different characters and so many different personalities in the GA. And why try and you know hide that? And why try and push that um, down the the, the packing order in terms of uh, what we are as a community, what we are as a, um, a, a, as an organisation, and I think that should be encouraged. Mm -hmm. We're getting towards Ulster Championship. It's this weekend is Donegal and Down, but the, the weekend just passed. Derry played awfully in the League Division Three final, and they were the only football final to be played. Um, I wanted to ask you if, if you think that that would be a positive for Derry, or do you think it was, a, it was it'll be good for them to play that game, or will it help them going into those championship, which is the winners of Donegal? Time? Yeah, so they have two weeks to the the next game, and ultimately, I certainly think it can only be a positive. The more games you get under your belt, the more, and and they won, of course, which you can't uh, forget about, and they have that momentum behind them now, and wins create momentum. 
lifting silverware creates that momentum as well. And some of the scores taken, you know, you've seen the clip of um, Shane McGuigan's uh, outlandish point from the sideline. And that breeds confidence. Winning in Crow Park, getting used to being back in Crow Park to win. Yes, it was Division 3, but you can only beat what's in front of you. They have now that momentum. Uh, we've spoken before about Conor Glass coming back, and I think he it took him a while to get back into the uh, GA, but certainly he's been a big addition to the team. And certainly I think that winning mentality, lifting silverware, winning in Crow Park, it can only be a positive going into um, the Ulster Championship. And... No doubt, you know, whoever comes out of Donegal and down Derry will be licking their lips and looking forward to that one. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think that they've got any sort of chance of beating two teams that are playing in the league above them, leagues above them? I think if you were to say, and not to do any disrespect to, to down, but certainly I think that Donegal are going to come out on top in terms of the preliminary round game. But Donegal without Michael Murphy don't have that fear factor. And certainly Rory Gallagher is astute enough at this stage and he's got a, a, his team playing more of a, an attack-minded game. And I think they're certainly going to go for the throat with Donegal and when they don't have that fear factor and when Derry ex express themselves I think that's going to be a real humdinger of a game and certainly the Derry boys won't fear Donegal if they do come through from down but and they'll also get to sit back and look at that down in Donegal game and take the um, the game plan that Donegal um, implement and to try and dissect that so I think they're in an advantage in terms of having the win at the weekend there and then looking ahead um, to, to down in Donegal and um, using that game as a sort of benchmark in terms of their tactics. Okay, last year we talked about Derry being such a great attacking force and we think that come championship football it'll be different. Um, but are we, is there a danger there? People could run away from themselves and think, oh, we've, we've cruised through Division 3. We could put up a t test here or put up a, a good fight here, when in reality, probably they won't. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think they have that momentum behind them and they're, they look extremely well conditioned now. And in saying that, the Donegal boys have come back in very well conditioned. And I think they have been okay in terms of uh, Division 1. And to be fair, in terms of how it's worked out with the, the Donegal Armagh match, and I was actually thinking about this the last week, Donegal had went on to the, the semi-final and played Dublin and you know were pretty comprehensively beaten, whereas Armagh from that game went and played Roscommon and won, and they're on a high coming out of it, so maybe it was, a, it was a good thing that Armagh didn't win that game, but Donegal certainly, I don't think they'll be complacent against Derry, but I think Without Murphy, Donegal are maybe not as good as they probably could have been. And Derry coming off the back of that momentum and coming off that uh, Division 3 win are maybe a wee bit better than, than Donegal might uh, give them credit for. So I think w with Maureen, the two, and again, we're the down still of a chance there, so we're not completely uh, disregarding them. But I do think Donegal will come through. And I think that's going to be a real mix of styles and you know of two teams at, at different stages. And it's going to be very interesting. Can we talk a bit about the Donegal down game in that uh, last year, it was last year Donegal were beat by Cavan in the final. How much will that game affect their opinion or their attitude going into this down game? And, you know, will or or is it a case of maybe they'll um, maybe they'll be too, too overconfident going in against down? Well, I, I certainly think 
last year against Calvin any you know ideas of overconfidence or arrogance or whatever way you want to describe it will be gone because there was a lot of people who were very sure that Donegal were going to do the business in the Ulster final and obviously Calvin um, you know they were full value for their uh, win I thought but I think uh, Donegal came into that game a wee bit complacent so I think co uh, coming forward eight or nine months against Down yes their favourites to win it but I think um, Declan Bonner will be ramming home to them that if there's any complacency look what happened the last time when we were complacent and we got turned over by Calvin so I don't think there's any chance of that happening on this occasion um, but again they need to make sure uh, without uh, and I think actually without Murphy that will help that there that we don't have you know our, our main man driving it on and that the likes of McBurdy and Warren McNeilis who I think will come in for a championship uh, will have to step up uh, in his absence, and I think that adds another flavour to it. What is can Down? What do you think the tactics for Down should be? Like, how do you think they should approach this game? What do they have to do? Should they give up kickouts, sit back? What do you think? Well, I'm not a fan of giving up kickouts on any in any team. I think they need to push on and press the kickouts, press the Donegal uh, kickouts, and make them make mistakes. Because no team's infallible when you put them under pressure. But if you give the give away the kickouts and draw the team onto you, I think it's a recipe for a disaster. And especially with a team like Down, who aren't you know putting up high scores, who don't have those I, I suppose household names and the the leaders that um, some of the other Ulster teams do have they need to be there or thereabouts um, throughout the match to give themselves any chance they're not going to blow teams away they're not going to kick 30 points they need to be uh, putting the pressure on uh, staying in the game and that doesn't uh, I certainly think inviting Donegal onto them will only result in one winner and once Donegal get the you know the, their backs up it's going to be very hard for a down team that aren't like be honest, they haven't been the flattered to deceive over the over the, the national league. So I certainly think that they need to press up and they need to push the game and they need to put that doubt into Donegal early. Yeah. Okay. We'll just move on to the hurling world because it's another big weekend for hurling. You know, in uh, the big game being for Ulster anyway for as Antrim Dublin. What do you think Antrim's chances are? I suppose is the first thing to ask. Well, I think they have a great chance. I really, really do. Um, going back to round three of the league when they played Dublin down in Parnell Park, that was a difficult fixture on the basis that they had a great result against Clare. They went down th uh, to play Kilkenny and had a pretty decent result, a six-point uh, loss down in Nolan Park. And then they had to go to Parnell Park third week on the bounce to play Dublin. And I think the, the maybe the surprise factor had gone from uh, Antrim at that stage. Some would say they caught Clare on the hop, but I think they were full value for their win against Kilkenny. They pushed them a very a good Kilkenny team all the way. Um, and then against Dublin, I think they ran out of steam a wee bit and it was very hard to maintain those levels throughout three weeks. So I think it, again, come this weekend, they've every opportunity of, of beating a good Dublin team, I wouldn't say a great Dublin team, they have the Burks, they have you know, uh, Rush who's been very uh, solid at six uh, and, and Boland in the, in the forward line has been scoring well but I don't think they'll fear them and they shouldn't fear them because uh, stepping up from Joe McDonough they have played with the best, they have matched the best and there's big momentum coming off that Waxford draw and the fact that they've stayed up in the Division 1 and I think their confidence is sky high and Dublin are possibly the perfect uh, county to be playing at this stage because Dublin have 
haven't reached the heights. They're a good team, but they're not one of the, you know, the Limericks or the Corks or the Tipperaries, um, you know, of this world. So I think it's a it's a really good draw for Antrim, and I. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Antrim nick a win or potentially a draw in that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the psychological approach is key for them, but what about fitness? You know, how, how was fitness going to play a part? Any of the Antrim games I've watched this year, they've obviously in lockdown done a lot of work and have hit the ground running you know, against Clare and certainly have looked a match for any of the um, Southern teams, like especially Waxford, when you're going into the... Um, the, the you know the depth of I think it was 78 minutes when um, they scored the equaliser and there was a lot of big hits went into that game you know a lot of hard running and hard tackling and their fitness levels I think have been as good as I've ever seen an Antrim um, hurling team and you marry that with you know the skills of the Clark and McManus and and the hard running of McKenna I think people overlook the amount of work McKenna gets to in that half forward line he's been very dogged and I think. Uh, going back to the Joe McDonough final you know he was the best player in the park for me and uh, the, the amount of work rate and the appetite for work um, that that Antrim team have along with those subtle skills in the forward line I think they're a match for anybody even without um, like even they've had good performances but they haven't had everybody playing well mm-hmm. in the whole the whole game you know like they've Clark's been good in a couple of games but quiet in others McNaughton's been good in some games and not others you know there is if they get a full performance from everybody, they they take a lot of stopping. The league is fine and the leagues for playing, yeah. um, but when it comes to championship time, championships are for winning. And I think it's not a bad thing that they haven't clicked across the uh, park uh, in the league. They've showed glimpses of what they're capable of, but certainly I think uh, against Dublin, if you put all that package together and the work that Gleeson's been doing with them, it is evident, that he, and even their skills in terms of working the ball out and the short passing, which we've... Uh, been eulogising in terms of what Cork have been doing. Antrim have been every bit as good and then they can go direct as well um, through McManus and uh, I I certainly think they're a match for anybody and I wouldn't be surprised um, if they, they turn Dublin over and it might be worth a few pounds at the weekend. There you go, there you go, that's what I like you to hear. You first. <laughs> <laughs> the other games are uh, Down, Kerry and uh, Donegal, Mayo. Um, do you see how do you see those going and how important are these comp- you know how important are these here these competitions for those counties oh they're they're everything for the the down and Donegal boys and having played against you know a lot of the players are still um lining out for for both counties i think this is very important the curry uh, down game it's going to be a difficult one for down down have they have been going well in patches in the in the league but i think curry Obviously, we talked about Antrim, and you know, remember last year that Antrim uh, found a tough going against Kerry in the Joe McDonough final, um, and I wouldn't say down or you know anywhere near where I suppose Antrim are now. Obviously, in relation to that nine months cycle, but. I think it's going to be a tough day for for Down. Um, they have been going well in patches, as I've said, but I, I just can't see anything but a, a Kerry win in that uh, fixture. And in terms of Donegal Mayo, I was actually surprised in terms of the league. Obviously, Donegal beat um, Mayo in the Nicky Rackard final, which was a great result for them last year. Then they they took a very heavy beating from Kildare in the first league game. But ultimately, Kildare beat everyone uh, well in the league this year and, uh, and obviously won the um, 2B. But I think certainly against Mayo, again, 
Donegal got them on the hop this year in the league and they will um, they will be looking for revenge um, this time around but uh, I, I saw that the, there's a number of the, the Mayo players that uh, are, are injured um, in especially prickly Kenny Feeney um, had a, a bad injury in his last game out so he'll be a big loss to what is a, a, I suppose a transitional enough Mayo team but uh, I think Donegal will just have enough for them and that'll be a big boost for them and I think that's again a good draw for them in terms of the, the first round of the championship. Where do you think that Ulster hurling is at the moment? You know, within with, with these games, with these competitions in mind, where where are where are, is it in a good place or probably okay place? Antrim have really you know stepped it up and shone a, a light on where uh, Ulster hurling. But I have to say, I was slightly disappointed in uh, Derry in the league. Um, I think they they may be able to put in better performances in terms of the the championship. But to only beat Donegal by a point in the, the league and it was a Cormac O'Doherty 100 uh, yards free at the end which um, swung the game for them and I was expecting with a lot of the Slock Neil boys on that team and you know what they have done in terms of the club uh, championship and putting it up to Ballyhale etc that that would really push on the hurlers in Derry but I, I just haven't seen them putting in the performances that I would have uh, expected you know if you're talking about down and where Derry are in terms of Antrim you know there is that big gulf maybe where when I was playing there wasn't as big a gulf between them Donegal have certainly stepped it up in terms of Armagh they've well you know they have gone very much uh, backwards in terms of where they were and it's a very transitional team and I think under the current management you know the best players in Armagh aren't playing um, which the, there's a question mark there um, as to why they're not um, but I think Armagh maybe are nowhere near where they were five and uh, or six years ago um, and then in terms of, of the rest, there probably haven't been that improvement that you would want to see in the likes of Monaghan and obviously Fermanagh, they just don't have the, the club teams playing. So I think it's a mixed bag in terms of Ulster, but there's a whole lot more work that could be done and isn't being done. And that's what really, um, I think, is the difficulty for uh, Ulster Hurling and there need, that needs to be prioritised in terms of the GA above all else, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the, there's positives. The positives are Antrim, Down, Donegal, but really Armagh and Derry were where you want to see the improvement since those are where the, the stronger clubs are. Yeah, well, certainly you would expect in Derry to be up up there and challenging, you know, over and above Down and, you know, uh, snapping at the coattails of, of Antrim. That's where they have been, um, you know, historically, if you think about... Uh, the likes of Jeffrey McGonagall and the McKeevers, etc. There, um, they they have been a force to be reckoned with. But I, I and with Slock Neil and you know Bonner Screen and Bonners of this world and Swatters, they have you know a very strong cohort of clubs there. But I don't know if it's uh, necessarily translating into the the hurling. And the other side of that is, I suppose, some of their their best hurlers are playing the football with uh, Rory Gallagher. So there's a, there's a question mark there as well in terms of bringing those those guys in to play for um, the, the hurlers. And maybe there can be some accommodation. I don't know. But knowing uh, Rory Gallagher, I don't think he's he's only accommodating one person, and that's himself in terms of the the footballer. So I can't see that happening. But Certainly, there's been pluses and negatives in relation to um, Ulster Hurling, but I do think that there should be more emphasis on the weak, those weaker counties, and that emphasis being setting up more clubs, because what we have seen certainly is 
the more you, you have wee ones out playing um, hurling, the more that translates through to players at senior level. And there's obviously a significant dropout rate in GEA and sport in general after 18, but the more players you have, the more clubs you have competing, the better chance that you have of being successful. Yeah. Okay, um, we could probably talk on for ages about this and about Ulster Hurling Championships and Team Ulster, but just to move on because I want to get one more thing in. Um, we're seeing more people coming back into matches, you know, and not just in the GA, you know, the Olympics or Japan are talking about bringing in people and there's yeah. a lot of controversy about that. And they're talking about having more people coming into the GA matches. What are your thoughts? Are they rushing into it? Does it? Is it better if they get more people in? What do you think? I mean, are we making the right decisions here with and getting people back into the stadiums? Well, the, the, the mantra that has been in the last 18 months is, you know, follow the science when we're being led by the science. And in circumstances where, especially in um, this part of the world where there have been the uptake in terms of vaccines, etc., has been very high. And the, the, we had been told that, you know, once the vaccination rollout is um, at a substantive level, we will have that herd immunity and then we can go back to living our normal lives. And we're sitting here on the 21st of June, as Boris described it, is Freedom Day when uh, I suppose in England that everything will be back to normal but like let's look at the comparatives globally we had uh, one of the Euros games in Budapest there were 60,000 people at it you had uh, Canelo against Saunders in uh, Texas Austin Texas where there was 75,000 people at an indoor venue and there wasn't that spike in Covid cases in those well certainly in the Canelo fight because we have the data coming back out of that and that and people put that down to vaccinations but the vaccination rate in Texas compared to this part of the world is a lot lower so I don't think, especially in outdoor situations where you can take all of the um, you know risk assessments and look at everything, and uh, they the should be opening up the gates to the fans. It's been a very, very difficult 18, 14, 18 months where we haven't been uh, able to go to games. And yes, you go to watch it um, on TV and it's been great, the amount of coverage that the GAA club matches especially have given. But there's nothing like on a, on a sunny afternoon going down to watch your local club play, watch your county play, maybe, you know, bump into a few of your mates. And especially for that older generation that, you know, that's what they look forward to in the summer times, you know, doing the silage and then going down to watch Armagh or watch Down or in the marshes or watch, you know, Derry and Celtic Park. That is a tonic for a lot of people in this part of the world and I don't think given the vaccination rates given the the like the mortality rates we don't hear about those anymore I, I think now is the time and we're in the summer months the sun splitting the trees the risks are well from what we can see are very low and I think it would be great for the players to see the supporters there and to hear the supporters because I think a lot of the games have been very flat going through the league because they don't have the supporters there, you know, rowing the teams on. And it adds that, you know, flavour, that championship flavour, that getting back to normality. And I'm all for seeing supporters um, in the grounds this year. And I really look forward to, to that. And it, we don't, we can do away with the fake crowd noises, you know, that the TV cameras are putting on. So to see supporters back, yes, absolutely, let's do that. And I think it would be great. Jason O'Reilly was our interview in Get It Life recently and he said they were talking in Cavan about how last year's Ulster Championship didn't really feel like a win because they didn't have anybody there to celebrate it like so unlike whenever he was there, whenever he won, you know, um, in the 90s. Um, 
But I think the Calvin guys were happy enough because they didn't have to buy the pints afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was it. So my concern is, what if Derry get to the Ulster final and I can't be there? That would be my concern. You know, if you can't get to the Eurocount to be at that game, it, it's going to be huge. But I think that's a selfish attitude to take. In reality, like everybody really wants to get out to their club. We played a club game um, yesterday. The, uh, the sun was splitting the trees. It was a great day, and usually you would have a couple of hundred, um, if not more, uh, fans coming down to enjoy the social aspect of it. Not just the game itself, but to meet up with your neighbours, to meet up with your friends, to get talking to different people, and certainly you haven't seen for a long period of time now. And I think we go back to that community-based GA that we talked about. You know, the eulogise about the members being the lifeblood of the GA, and I think certainly given where we are and given following the sciences they talk about, I think there's no reason why we can't, on an outdoor uh, arena, bring back fans on a managed basis to bring back that life and that um, you know. Uh, and, and the fun back to the GAA and that I think in the days when Armagh were, were doing well and we were going up to Clonus and you know those are memories that I'll always um, uh, take with me and it would be unfair to rob uh, you know the older generation and the younger generation of those memories so let's do it we're in the summer the risks are low I think now's the time to get on with it. Kyle, that's great. Uh, conclusions I'm drawing is we'll hopefully we'll get more people back at games and get your money on Antrim to beat Dublin. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> Kyle, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming in. Thanks a lot, Ron. So I'd like to welcome uh, Claire Timoney, the former Antrim player and current Breda senior player, to take her points. Thanks for coming in, Claire. Um, I wanted you to come in just to talk about the Ulster Championship, the Ladies Ulster Championship in general, but just to start. How has life been since you retired from the inter-county game not so long ago? I would say I definitely have a lot more free time, um, that's for sure. Um, but it's one of those things, you always find something something else to kind of, um, you know, you end up doing. So um, I must say, I, uh, I, I actually moved to Canada. Um, Pretty, pretty much directly after finishing playing county football for, for two years. So um, on my return, I sort of thought, you know, playing for Breda was, was certainly enough. And I think as you sort of get a bit older, your career takes over. And, and for me, that has really been the case. So um, playing, playing, county, or playing club football has certainly kind of given me the same sort of highs that I had playing county football as well. So um, I think just really life and work has sort of, you know, taken over really um, and, and that sort of filled my time. So, and I have a better social life now because of it, so. So you don't, uh, do you miss anything or is anything you miss in particular about the? Oh, yeah, you do, you definitely. You, you really miss that sort of camaraderie and I think that the county, uh, the bus journeys down to every part of Ireland, you know, on a Sunday, you would you really do miss. And some of those friendships that you would have had, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm meeting friends now this week that I played county with, but you just, you don't see those people. Um, so I'd say it's probably the friendships more so than anything else. And, and I think playing at that county standard, you know, playing against other, other counties and, uh, you know, you do miss that competition, but I'm probably quite fortunate um, that the club that I play for, you know, we're playing in the Ulster senior um, level. So, you know, I'm still very much getting that competition. So, so for me, that's sort of satisfying that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I wonder, uh, how did you balance playing club and county, did you find it was a lot of a strain on you? 
It definitely is. I suppose it's one of those things. Managers always want you to play for, for the club and they always want you to play for the county. And, and often or not, as much as they maybe say they work together, you know, often or not, it's, it's down to the player. Um, and I think, you know, there's, becoming, there's become a, a lot more of importance on recovery. Um, and I think prog the progression over the last few years, you sort of would see, you've seen that um, recovery. So I would say from that point of view, I think because you've played for such a long time at a county and club level, you know, you kind of just manage your time. And I suppose it's a good, it's good preparation for work, life balance going, you know, down the line that you, you manage your time. So I think you've, you, you just get used to it really. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly does come with its uh, complexities and, you know, you do miss an awful lot of social and family events because of it. What age are you in you started for the county team? I was actually playing senior county football from 14. So, you know, it was, it, I kind of grew up playing, you know, county, county football and playing clubs. So I was playing for four and five teams at a time. So, you know, you just managed your time um, and also was, was coupling that with, with playing um, soccer as well. So you didn't really have much time in between. So um, my mum wasn't too happy because it wasn't enough studying done in between times. But yeah, you just, I think you just find a way of coping. I interviewed Anya Tuberty recently for the paper and she spoke about how uh, she started playing senior club when she was 12 and I just don't think men maybe don't understand how that can happen. Mm -hmm. It just seems so much of a challenge but is it perhaps to do with you know maybe girls are more mature or they can handle those sort of situations or is it just or what do you think? It's just one of those things I suppose when you're younger and, and you always want to you know if you're being chosen to go up and play at maybe that's more senior level you know you never really turn that opportunity down you know so you're sort of excited by that prospect um, and I suppose it's just something that you know you don't you don't really dwell on it I suppose at that age you just want to go and play football because you just love playing really and but like in hindsight I would say now when I look at kids and, and I'm involved with Queen's ladies and you know you can sort of see the burnout you know from from players when they're when they're trying to juggle both um, and but just when they've, they've played so much football over the years when they even by the time they get to the point of university you know but you also were playing soccer as well. So you were bouncing three different teams. Yeah, I was playing for Linfield. I, so I started my career playing for Ballymena and then progressed then sort of the last few years of my soccer career I was playing for Linfield. And, you know, I suppose it just, it meant that you, there had to be sort of a bit of a, you know, cooperation with, with manager that I maybe didn't make every single training because it just physically wasn't possible. Um, however, they knew that you were going to be in, you were fit and you were going to be ready, match ready. Um, but certainly you sort of had to dip in and you always felt like you were disappointing someone almost because you weren't always able to make every training session. But I think managers, you know, they, they'll work with you because they want you to be able to play um, for them. So I don't know how on earth I managed it at times, to be honest with you. But yeah, it just really came down to sort of time management and trying to recover you know, in between times. And now when I look back, I don't think I probably did half enough of what I, you know, what I could have been doing. But I think now with the likes of ice baths and things like that, and, and people are in the sea most nights, you know, if I had been doing a bit more of that, I probably would be 
probably coping a bit better now. So. Oh really? Do you think so? Then you think is that just because you didn't know about it, or just you didn't think? Yeah, it just really wasn't. It wasn't really the end thing at the time. You know, I think you know we just kind of marched on, and we're, we're, we're you were training every single night. Whereas now, I think there's there's a lot more about player welfare, and you know, I think there's a lot more focus on on, on making sure you know pe players are recovering properly. And I think there's so many gadgets and things like that. You know, you've got the likes of your stat sports and, and things like that to sort of show you know what levels um, players. Have recovered and things like that so I think you know we're just there's so much more information now readily available to us um, that you know I think probably it could have helped but at the same time you just love playing football and you you know you were out every single night of the week and that was just life. Yeah do you think you learned or was anything that benefited from playing soccer and uh, ladies football do you, do you learn anything at soccer that you could bring over to the other or the, or vice versa yeah i i would really say um the sports are very complementary um probably more so i think my Gaelic, my soccer skills probably helped me in Gaelic football and I know it's a real pet peeve I think sometimes when you see Gaelic footballers you know kicking the ball along the ground or, or whatnot or you know trying to chip the keeper and things like that but you know I definitely think that the, the, the ball skills I found I was much stronger than in Gaelic football so um, but I, I'm not sure the other way around I'm not sure how much how complimentary Gaelic football would be to um, soccer but um, yeah, I think it probably the other way around. I think probably um, w was beneficial that way. So I remember Brian Neeson that you know uh, he was goalkeeper for Cliftonville and played random up front, but he said that um, in Gaelic we train eight or ten weeks for one match, but in soccer you train two nights. And when you're playing thirty-eight games or whatever it is, you, yeah. it's it's the balance is wrong. Yeah. But he enjoyed the soccer side. He enjoyed the. Um, the, the training side and the skills side of soccer, but he yeah. enjoyed the big day with for the county. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's funny, I would say the county, the Gaelic football, the, the training is so much tougher. And I think actually playing soccer, a lot of the Linfield manager would always love, you know, the fact that you'd be coming in and you'd be rolling up your sleeves. And if there was any hard work to be done, it was no problem, you know, because I suppose they often think maybe the soccer players are a bit soft, you know, um, but it is, you know, you're sort of focusing. There's, there's a lot more games coming up um, within the soccer calendar. And I think, you know, you sort of, as you say, you're preparing maybe two or three days in advance and it, it is that wee bit different, you know, and I think there's just a very different culture as well. Do you think that then that there should be less training in Gaelic football? Do you think we train too much? Well, I mean, for me, I absolutely love a good hard training session and, and you know, so I, I wouldn't, I think the game is only going more so in the way that teams are becoming more conditioned. I think if you look at the ladies game now, I was actually commenting just at the weekend, like a lot of the players are so slender, you know, their their, their physiques are, are, have almost changed. I think we, I would say in the last sort of 10, 15 years, we would have been, there would have been more of a focus on strength and conditioning, and that's certainly still there, but there's a lot more conditioning, and I think the players are, are sort of better built you know, for the game at the moment. And it's just, a, it can be a running game, you know, particularly half forward and half back line. So I wouldn't stray away from the, the train. I don't think it's too difficult, but I think, yeah, it's just becoming more, much more of a commitment that it's been, it's becoming quite difficult actually to juggle and to play more than one sport for sure. You've seen this both sides, you've seen the soccer side and you've seen the GSA, but you've also seen the side of club football in Antrim and the club football in Down as well, because you played, started out playing club football in Antrim and then moved to Down. Yeah. What's that change been like and why did you make it? 
So I played for All Saints in Ballymena um, from I was from a young age right up until I was 18 and unfortunately our team folded um, when I was 18 so I was sort of at a point where I, I didn't know what club maybe to go to. Um, I was studying at Jordanstown um, and I had uh, county colleagues, um, the McCann sisters, and they were playing for Breda. So it sort of felt, you know, like a natural maybe move. There was a few players, I think Breda has been renowned for being a blow-in club. And so I sort of felt like I would probably fit in quite well, you know, go on to play for Breda. So I felt that there would be a greater challenge for me personally playing in a down club. Um, and I think with the league at the time when I was playing for All Saints, Money Glass were very much dominating um, and St Paul's were coming through so it was those two teams were very much you know fighting for the fighting for the title every year and not that I didn't fancy playing for either team I just sort of felt like I didn't have allegiance to either team and, and it felt like the down league would, would be something new for me so and I must say I, I've thoroughly enjoyed I've, I've been playing for Breda for over 10 years now and it really does feel like it's my club and has been for a long time um, and over the years we have you know we've really had our ups and downs um, and I think just the last few years you know we've really started to to become strengthened sort of the the Breda setup and you know we've sort of we've um enjoyed the sort of fruits of that so yeah it does feel like that Breda really are um you know they've got to that level now where they're very very strong and not just in one code yeah I mean the club has put such great emphasis sort of on on the sort of you know the grassroots and and you know you really see that on a Friday night like you would not believe Cherryville um pitches is just filled with with young young girls actually um, and so they've just really really developed their sort of grassroots and paid a lot of attention there so I mean I'm so proud of kind of what Breda have done over the last few years um, and certainly within the, the the women's side of things you know we've certainly um, we really have strengthened and I think it's been a testament even bringing in the coaches and the caliber of coaches that you know have wanted to get involved as well and I think probably as, as a senior team you know, once they begin to, you know, demonstrate that they're up at that Ulster senior level, I suppose, you know, it, it only encourages younger girls and to, to want to get to that level as well. So I think, you know, and I think as well also with a lot of the, you know, PR that women's football has been getting, you know, it's only encouraging young girls to get out there and play. So it's good, it's good, it's good time. Well, how would you compare it to the Antrim leagues, though? You know, because Antrim have only got, you know, St Pauls are the number one team in Antrim. Why does it compare? Yeah, well, I suppose. I mean, St Pauls are certainly um, they are a team to beat um, coming out of Antrim. But I feel there's very little competition for the likes of St Pauls. Um, Money Glass. I mean, they're a fantastic team too, and have certainly pushed St Pauls right to the wire every single year. But there's certainly there is still a little bit of a gap there and I sort of feel the likes of St Paul's would probably you know it probably would be worthwhile if they were nearly moving into the neighbouring county of Down and, and maybe challenging the likes of ourselves and carried off in the Down Championship because I think certainly we would all rise up you know that level that we would be you know maybe going into the sort of Ulster Club Championship you know we would be better prepared. Mm-hmm mm-hmm and what do you think for the future for Breda? Like, where do you think they can go? What what sort of what sort of what can be achieved? I mean, I suppose you always have to aim high, but I really feel you know we are capable of winning an Ulster you know club title and all Ireland as well. You know, I feel like there's very little amongst the top teams in Ulster. 
Um, and so I think, you know, if, if you get out of Ulster as well, I mean, of course, you're going to be playing against fantastic teams um, in the South. But, you know, I, I certainly feel that we're more than capable. We've really strengthened this year. Um, we've brought in, there's two or three players that have actually returned, having been um, on their travels. And I feel that that experience that's come back into the team, coupled with the experience that the younger girls have, um, you know, they have another year under their belt. So I think, you know, we really will be a force to reckon with. But the biggest problem is, is getting games, um, you know, and, and I think that could be our only downfall this year is not actually getting the friendly games and, and getting the competition that is at that level because I think when we reach the Ulster sort of you know fixtures you know we, you, you're not at that level you haven't you haven't prepared at that level and that's where we've generally we've we've fallen down yeah and that can't really be solved then I was going to say well you, there's clubs starting up like East Belfast yeah, but that's not what you need you need no you need the other teams to be moved up yeah and I, I mean the strategy this year for the club you know for for the senior team was certainly to go and you know go on our travels and, and play teams down south but I mean we we had attempted to get a game a few games um, with with a Donegal club and, and a Dublin club you know this week and, and the past week and with different regulations in place we're not actually allowed to play um, a club team across the border so you know we're already at you know we're, we're already coming up with um, difficulties you know on, on playing games so it's just getting games that are, are going to be at that level so we're now attempting to play county teams you know maybe a second string of county teams you know because we're not getting the competition within our within our county needs must isn't that the case yeah because uh, we're in the middle of the Ulster ladies championship i wanted to ask you about what you think so far you know we've had two games so far what do you think in general where do you where do you think Ulster ladies football is and how do you think it's going to go this year i think certainly the likes of donegal and armagh you know they are really going to be pushing i think whoever win i suppose i'm probably making a bit of a presumption there that armagh will, will get past tyrone but i suppose just with the sort of league fixtures and um, the results that there's been, you would expect maybe Armagh to push on into the final. Um, and I think those Donegal and Armagh are going to be probably the two strongest teams coming out of Ulster this year. And they are likely to have a lot of success, I would expect, in, in the All-Ireland series too. You've seen Donegal there push Cork right to the wire. Um, about two weeks ago so you know it's exciting times and certainly you know for me as a forward you love to see that attack and play and both the likes of Donegal and Armagh have got fantastic forwards um, and so you know I think anything is possible with those teams you know and I think particularly because of this year and the year that's in it you know the National League has been condensed and there's been no break right into championship as well so you know, it sort of is one of those things that it's whoever performs on the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in general, though, where do you think ladies football is in terms of like, you know, compared to where you when you were playing, has it improved, increased dramatic, dramatically? Yeah, I, well, I think it certainly has improved. I think ladies Gaelic football, I think over the last number of years has been dominated by the likes of Cork in the in the senior game. But I think I think Ulster probably was a lot stronger, you know, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, but I, I think it's starting to creep back up. The likes of the, you know, um, Armas and Donegal's are starting to improve. Monaghan are, are rebuilding as are, Donny, are, are Tyrone, you know. So I think once those teams, you know, 
continue to rebuild um, and are playing, moving up in the National League, you know, once you're getting that competition, I think that that will help. But it certainly has improved in the sense that, you know, a lot of the recovery, as I said, and strength and condition and preparation, there's a lot more available to the women's teams. And I think we are a few years behind the men's game and we always have been. And I think you can sort of see that progression in terms of, you know, tactics and kickouts and things like that. You know, there's a much greater focus on those areas, which we would not have had, and we certainly wouldn't have had a focus on in, in years gone by. Um, which just from my coaching experience, you know, with the likes of Queens, you know, I've just seen, you know, such intensity in terms of, you know, just walking out exactly how we're going to play and things like that, which would never really have been done. So there's been a lot of progression, you know, in the last few years, which has been exciting to see. And for Antrim, would it be in progress mean, you know, moving up the leagues as well? Unfortunately, Antrim haven't really progressed in the last number of years, which for me has been really disappointing. Um, when I sort of retired, I, I'd hoped that I would sort of leave it in a better place than, than when I had began. Um, but we just haven't really overly progressed. I mean, we're still in the Division 4. Um, now the girls got to the Division 4 final this year, but we've sort of got to that stage, you know, quite a few times and just haven't got over that hurdle. And, and into Division 3 and I think it really requires you know making that leap into Division 3 and trying to maintain that status of playing against those those stronger teams I mean you can you can only get better when you're playing against better competition so um, for me I think they really need to get up to that level and, and, and hopefully build on that you know so that's where that's where Antrim hopefully will will go in the next few years so hopefully hopefully yeah. Claire that's great Appreciate you coming in. Thank okay. you for your time. No problem. Anytime. Thank you very much.